In today's show, we're going to talk about punting in fantasy basketball. What it is, what are the benefits, what are the disadvantages, how do you do it? Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. We're getting closer to starting some team preview shows. They're going to come later this week, so stay tuned for those ones. But what we're doing today is discussing the concept of punting because it is a misunderstood term. It's a misunderstood concept. It's something that can be very effective. It's something you need to understand what you're doing with it, though, in order to have uh, success in doing it. So what we're going to do is talk about it. talk about punting, talk about what it means, and talk about how you can use it to great effect. If you are in a fantasy points league, thank you for joining the show. You can check out now. Leave the show running in the background. Leave the YouTube video playing. This has absolutely nothing to do with you. You cannot punt in a points league, head-to-head categories leagues, roto category leagues, this has got something to do with you, and we'll talk about that today. Points leagues, I'll see you later. Um, you can come back for tomorrow's show. We're uh, not sure exactly what we're doing tomorrow's show, but come back for tomorrow's show. Just leave it, leave it running for the algorithm. Leave a comment. Say, I'm in a points league, but I still thumbed up this video. Let's talk about what punting actually is for fantasy basketball. What is it? So we play a category league. Now, let's actually, let's let's get... No, no, let's talk about what it is. It's ignoring a category or categories. That is the simplest definition of what punting is. Some people might call it tanking. In I like to call it punting instead of tanking because tanking has that connotation in sports leagues, the NBA, where you're deliberately losing. You were deliberately losing in order to get a better pick in the draft or whatever. You were deliberately losing. That's not what punting is, right? You are not setting out to be as bad as possible in those categories. So when I've said here, not being bad, that's what I mean. You are not setting out. If you are a punt free throw team, you do not need to collect every player who is horrible at free throws. You don't get an advantage for saying, well, look how shit my team is. We shoot 50% from the free throw line. That doesn't give you anything. You are not setting out to be deliberately bad in a category. You are ignoring that category. You are playing a nine category league For example, as a default scenario, you are playing a nine-category league and you are saying, well, I'm punting free throws. So in essence, your team is an eight-category team. Whether a player is good at free throws, mediocre at free throws, or shithouse at free throws, it doesn't matter to your team. That is what punting is. It is concentrating resources by narrowing the focus. Instead of having to be good in nine categories, your team now has to be good in eight categories or good in seven categories. So you can be much better in those seven categories versus stretching yourself thin across nine categories. It is not being bad. It is not, I am trying to be as bad as possible. It's not like, I I can't punt free throws because John is punting free throws. And look at his team. They shoot 73 from the line, but my team shoots 75 from the line. I can't punt them because he's doing it. That's not what it is at all. It doesn't matter. Whether you lose by 
six percentage points or by five percentage points. It doesn't even matter if you, if you you can punt free throws and literally win that category, and it doesn't change the strategy at all. That is the number one misconception of what punting is. You are not trying to get bad, and that's where people get in real problems with constructing a team, building a lineup, making trades. Is they try and see I'm punting assists, therefore I can't draft point guards. That is 100% wrong. And in fact, you will lose your league if you do that. Because you need point guards. A, you need position eligibility. Your point guards will hit threes. They'll be good at free throws. They'll get steals. So if you're just getting, I'm going to get all centers and then work it out that way, then you're punting five categories or four categories. And that can work. You can do that. But you are not deliberately trying to be bad. You are, you are just taking that category out of circulation. You're not paying attention to it. And you're looking at your players' other strengths. That is the, that is the importance. Or that is the, the importance of, of punting is, is understanding that and getting that fact into your head and changing that mindset. Now, many of you will already do that and you will know that. But often when you say, I've tried punting in the past and it screwed me up, it's because you didn't pay attention to that, that difference and you went out there and you made the decision to just try and be bad in the category while ignoring actually being good in other categories. So it's really concentration versus being bad. It's I'm going to be great in six, seven categories versus I'm going to be terrible in one or two. That is the difference. And I think that is vitally important that you're able to understand that. If you're sweating, thinking about punting and how am I going to execute this in a draft? Maybe you need sweat block. Hyperhidrosis is a real problem for so many people. Hyperhidrosis, the medical term for excessive sweating. Nobody wants to be embarrassed by huge pit stains or swimming pools sitting under their ass cheeks while they're out there. No one wants that problem. No one wants excess sweat. it's, it's, It's a social stigma, but there is a solution. Sweat block is that solution. Doctor created, doctor recommended. Sweat block and their sweat block wipes, it works for up to seven days. It is stronger than most clinical antiperspirants. You go home, you wipe the sweat block under your arms, you go to bed, have a snooze, do whatever you need to do, wake up the next morning, have a wash, toodle off to work, and you're all good. Works for up to seven days. You might need to apply it twice a week, but normally it's just once a week. That is all you need to do. An amazing result for someone who has that sort of problem uh, in their life, which again is really something that can be quite awkward. So, Sweatblock, go to sweatblock.com, use our promo code locked on, and you can save 20% off. You can also get it at Amazon and at CVS, but go to sweatblock.com, use our promo code locked on, and you'll save 20%. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, and another lets you stream your favorite shows, and you're watching sports highlights on your phone, you've got your neighbor's best friends log in for all the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings you live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so that you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. Get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. Dot com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required and content varies by package. Okie dokie. Let's go on to the next part of punting. Why do you punt? And I sort of touched on this already. Um, consolidation. Like getting your strengths together. It's, it is basic common sense. If you, let's, let's use an analogy that's nothing to do with fantasy basketball. 
this analogy might fall completely flat. But if you have a whole chicken and you need to feed six people, everyone gets fewer pieces of chicken. If you have a family of six, right? You bought your chicken, you've, you've roasted it, whatever. You're here, here's a drumstick for you. Here's a wing, here's a breast, whatever. Everyone gets their pieces of chicken, the six of you. And then one night, your missus is out. Your kids got sport practice. They're going to kick the footy, whatever they're doing. And there's only four of you for dinner, but you still got the whole chicken. So everyone gets more, all right? It's common sense, common maths. That's what punting means, is that instead of having to dis- distribute your 13 players and their statistical contributions across nine categories, eight categories, 13 categories, seven categories, whatever your league is, lop a few of those off. So all of those resources can then go to seven categories or six categories, whatever it is. It makes more sense, right? That is what it does. It consolidates your resources so that those peaks in those numbers can then get higher and you can be better in those categories. It also helps reduce variability. Now, you can be strong across all categories. You can be solidly above average in most categories, maybe a bit below average in others. And it can, yeah, the argument against punting is it gives you flexibility, right? So on this week, then I can focus on this one and get my waiver wire guys in. And that, that is true. That does allow that. But what punting does is it reduces variability. Because if I, instead of being above average in six categories and average in three categories, Right, really, just you know, average points scored per fantasy team is 16, for example, and your team average is 16.5. Average assists is like 3.7, and your team average is 3.9. Like, so you're just bees dicking it right above average there. In a punting scenario, you might have punted blocks and field goal percentage and really tried to concentrate in on getting more points and more assists. So your team, instead of averaging 16.7 points, they average 18.9. Instead of averaging 3.7 assists or 3.9 assists, you average 5.4 assists, right? Massively above average, massively. So what that means is is there's variability. When we say a player averages 20 points per game or averages six assists per game, they do not go out there and score 20 points, 20 points, 20 points, 20 points. That scores 27, 15, 30, 12, 19, 11, right? They do all those sort of things. And you get a week where they have 11, 13, 15. They're not touching that 20-point average. And then your your 16.7 total points average goes down to 16.2. And then you lose in what would have been a better matchup for you. But if all of your players on average, average like three points higher, and then someone has an off night or an off week because that's how variability works, your average might go from 18.9 points per game across your team to 18.3 or 18.2. And you're still one and a half to two fantasy points better than average across your league. So that variability, your your razor thin margin of I need everyone to perform at their average every single week, it's it's done. You can afford that variability. You can afford to deal with slumps in form, cold streaks. You can afford to deal with schedule imbalances. If your best player plays three games and your opponents are playing four games or your best three players only play three and he's playing four and you go, oh shit, right? But the fact that the way you've built your team gives you that buffer. So if you have lost 20% of overall games played production by the top half of your roster, there is that you've got more of a chance of being competitive in those categories. 
because you've built up this big buffer, right? So that, that enables you to be able to do that. Same with injury. One of your guys misses a game. It's not like, oh, well, I needed him to average 16 points across four games this week, and now he's only played three games, so he's averaging you know, 14 points across what would be those four games for the week, and I'm screwed. You've, you've got a buffer. It's giving you a buffer. It's just pushing you above, not saying, well, I'm going to be average to above average in every category, but you need everything to go perfectly for you. You need the schedule to work. You need cold streaks to not appear. Now, cold streaks can be offset by hot, hot streaks, but it gives you a buffer, and I think that's really, really important. And when you get to the fantasy playoffs, do you need to be good in every category? Do you need to win 7-2, 8-1 to win? No, you don't. You need to win 5-4. That's it. You need more categories than your opponent. That is all you need. And again, reducing variability, reducing schedule impact, reducing injury impact. They are all benefits of punting. Arguments against, and we talked about it already. It reduces your flexibility. And I I get that because you have this team where you are, let's use a punt field goal percentage example and the average field goal percentage across fantasy leagues is 48%. And your team shoots regularly 45%. That's how you're projected out, right? So you can't really compete against anyone there. You can't go and add guys off the waiver wire. You can't say, oh, I actually need field goal percentages. You can't do that. That is true. It does reduce your flexibility to move and go with the times. And... Anti-punting proponents will, will will tell you, and I'll have arguments with, with anti-punting people all the time. I do it with Matt Smith all the time. And there are ways to win both ways. Like you can win both ways, assuming you're good and you know how to you know, you manipulate a schedule and draft well and do good trades and wave. Well, you can win both ways. There's no doubt about it. I just think this gives you, by far, if you understand what you're doing, the best chance of winning and reduces some of that variability, which is what I'm all about. Yeah, that, that flexibility can be reduced just because you are sort of locked into what strengths and weaknesses your team has. It can also um, be a negative in terms of what to do when injuries strike. Well, uh, this is, again, these are common arguments. I will often use this argument in on the flip side, but I'll say, well, what if you're punting free throws and then Giannis goes down? He's your guy. He's your punt free throw guy. Well, my argument to that is, that's well and good. My free throws then improve, right? Again, I don't need to lose free throws. And his other categories, sure, that hurts. But if I wasn't punting and I lost Giannis, I can't replace his 28 points, 13 rebounds, 5 assists, 1.5 blocks, 1.5 assists. I can't replace them anyway. So it doesn't actually doesn't actually change in that regard. It does, uh, just because I lost someone who fit what I did perfectly. If I wasn't punting and I had that same player, I couldn't replace them equally. If you lose a top pick, you lose a top pick, whether you're punting or whether you aren't. Like, And you can't replace that production as easily. Now, the argument against it is, is it can change. It can change your ability to alter your team structure on the fly. And, and I do get that. Some will argue that it also hampers you in trades because you can only receive in the guys that fit your punt build. But again, we aren't avoiding players who are bad, who are good in those categories. You're punting assists. You're not avoiding getting a point guard. I think it actually makes trading a lot easier. You can argue against this. I think it makes trading a lot easier because you have specific things that you look for, you need. Your opponents might have specific things they're looking for and you can get easy win-wins. 
Very easy win wins. Hey, I'm actually I actually really don't care about assists on my team, and this guy's averaging nine of them. And if you've got someone who's providing equal threes in free throw percentage, but you need those assists, let's switch them over and get the different benefits that way. I don't think that really holds water. And then the waiver wire, people will often say again, yeah, but what if the player on the waiver wire, who's the hot pickup? Let's say it was a Kevin Porter. And you go, I'm actually punting assists or punting points. I can't add him. That's bullshit. And I'll tell you why that's bullshit. It's because again, it does not matter if you become good at the category you were punting. Now, if all of Porter's value is tied into, I'm just going to use Cousin Kev in all these examples. If all of his value is tied in one category, and even if adding him means nothing to you, and your team goes from averaging two assists to 2.4, still by far the worst across the whole league, okay, you've added him, but maybe someone else wants him. You can trade. Like that guy that you've added off the waiver wire as your worst player, Theoretically, maybe he becomes your ninth best player. And then if he's become so good that his assist becomes so high that it actually turns your team to be from a bad assist team into a mediocre assist team, that means you've now remained really good in seven categories. And instead of having one shit ass one, you've got one average one. I don't see the downside to that. Do you? It's not, Again, the, the mentality of that is getting it through your head that punting is not being bad at a category. So if you were bad at a category and then you become average, that doesn't mean, ah, ah, fucked it. Punt's done. I'm average in a category now. That's not how it is. It just gives you an extra tool. Now, there there will be plenty of people who are watching this or listening to this who will be commenting, oh, but Josh, you lose that flexibility. You can't be... be And I do understand that. that, That's probably the number one argument against it. It does limit your flexibility to go up against someone. What if you go up against someone who's punting also? Yeah, you then then a whole matchup comes down to what happens in one category, and, and I I do get that that is that can be a downside, but in terms of being able to structure a winning squad, I just think it gives you the best advantage that you can possibly have right uh, right across that board. Built Bar right across the board is the best tasting protein bar ever. You know Built Bar. Have you tried Built Bar? If you haven't, you need to get yourself a box of Built Bar. Find your favorite flavor, coconut, raspberry, cookies and cream, caramel brownie, German chocolate. If you don't know what your favorite is, get a mixed box, 18 bars, nine flavors, two of each. And then you can find out and you can tell everyone proudly, this is my favorite Built Bar. I'm not sure what sort of conversations you're having with your mates, but hey, drop Built Bar into any conversation you can. Built Bar is also the official protein bar of the US track and field team. And they're not only healthy. Actually, they are healthy. I'm completely off base. They are not only delicious, they are also healthy. Yes, 130 to 180 um, calories per bar. We're talking 17 to 18 grams of protein, four to five grams of sugar, and four to five grams of net carbs. So go to built.com, use our promo code LOCKED15, and you can save 15% off your first box. Go to promo or go to uh, built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15 at built.com. All right, bet online. It is time for football. The NFL preseason's going. College football starts this weekend. And the number one place to put bets on when you're trying to get your gridiron action going is Bet Online. It is your number one spot for pro and college football. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half-million-dollar NFL mega contest and the world's largest $200,000 NFL survivor contest. Open now at Bet Online. 
Be sure to take advantage of their opening day super promo. Make a bet on the Thursday, September 9th opener between the Super Bowl champions, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the Dallas Cowboys. And if you lose, your wager will be refunded up to $25 for new customers only when signing up and using the promo code NFL100. From football, basketball, boxing, and right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait. You can take advantage of all the great offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online are your online sportsbook experts. All right, now I'm realizing this punting show is going real slow. So let's go into the next thing. How to punt. <clears throat> all right, what we're doing is one category versus multi-categories. So you, you can do that either way. You can punt one category, and we'll talk about punting combos later, or you can punt multiple categories. Simple way to do it. And again, what it is, you're ignoring one of those categories, or you're ignoring two categories, or you're ignoring three categories. Watch how the values of players change. And you can do this on Basketball Monster with our projections and our draft tracker, how the value of players changes versus rankings. Because that's what punting is, is trying to get that extra value. Yanni Antetokounmpo as an overall value play is like 12th if you're counting all categories. If you punt free throws, he's third. Luka Doncic, Zion Williamson, Rudy Gobert, Clint Capella. You punt field goals, Fred Van Vliet. All these guys can have value changes of 10, 20, 30 spots. So you want to watch the ranks. You want to watch ADPs. But the idea is that you can hopefully grab that guy that fits what you're trying to do from a punt scenario. Zion Williamson, for example, his ADP, I don't know, it might come out as at 40. Maybe he's a bad example. But Rudy Gobert, say his ADP comes out at 35. But in a punt free throw scenario, he's 12th. Right? You don't pick him at 12th because it takes away all the value. But you might pick him at 27. So you're still getting him ahead of ADP at 35. But then he's returning a full round's worth of value to your team. And in that end, you, you punted free throws and you look at your team without free throws as a category. So you're not you're paying no attention to that category and you have six top, 30, <clears throat> six top 30 players under that build on your team. You've got nine top 80 guys. It's a great way to be able to win. So that's what you're trying to do is balance the value that they provide in a punt scenario versus where their rank and ADP is. You don't want to take them at absolute value. Well, if I punt free throws, this guy's the 12th best guy, so I'll take him at 12. Look, no, that, that screws everything up and you get no value out of it. It's about getting it at the right spot. In a snake draft, um, it's a little bit harder to do versus a salary cap or auction draft. It's not harder to do, but again, you're at the whims of who's available at my pick and maybe you have to reach for guys. But in, in a salary cap draft, an auction draft, you just can get all the guys that you want that fit what you do. And again, you should be extracting value. You can go watch my auction and salary cap draft strategy video. But if a guy has got an average price of $10, but he's worth $25 in your punt build and you get him for $12, and you've just made a ton of money and boosted your team up significantly. Punting turnovers is something that I do all the time, right? Whenever I value players, I punt turnovers. And again, the reason I do this, and people will ask me all the time, why don't you care about turnovers? I'll tell you why. Number one, it's the opposite of assists. All right, so if you're punting, so if you're really paying attention to turnovers, it's very hard to be strong in both turnovers and assists, almost impossible. Also, if you are at a games played disadvantage to the for, for a week in a matchup, you will inevitably have fewer turnovers. So you become more competitive in that category. If your team is built around having low turnovers and then you have a week where you get injured or you have fewer games, then your strength in turnovers doesn't actually help. And then you're still worse in those other categories. 
Turnovers is something that is negatively correlated with assists and points. So higher turnovers usually means higher points, higher assists. Lower turnovers, lower points, lower assists. Of course, there's always exceptions, but that's the general rule. And you know you can have low turnovers, but it's not playing players. Now, of course, you get no other categories there. But when you're looking at maximizing things through volume, through streaming, you're, you're, the side effect of that is having high turnovers. And I think you just have to deal with that. That's how I look at it. If we're in a situation where someone's stats are identical, but one guy averages 1.5 turnovers, the other guy averages 2.5, you take the lower turnover guy. But to me, having turnovers is a category, which I don't love, but it's fine to have there. But it gives you a bit of a buffer. If you are at a games played disadvantage, then your turnovers come down and now enables you to be competitive there. But if you've already you know, based that as your category that you're going to win every week, you don't get no advantage when you're, when you're disadvantaged by injuries or by games played. So that's, that's, that's the reason for me. Let's go through some... Actually, before we do that, we'll go back to that in a second. Just quickly, roto leagues versus head-to-head leagues. Head-to-head leagues, I believe punting is absolutely um, something you should be endeavoring to do under all circumstances. The deeper the league gets, the more beneficial it becomes. So either deeper in more teams, deeper in roster size. Standard is 12 teams, 13 players. Anytime it gets deeper, 14 teams, more roster spots, 14, 15 roster spots, it becomes more ideal to punt. Because again, talent pool is spread out and you're concentrating your talent into certain categories. In an eight-team league, you probably don't need to punt because everyone's so good at everything. In a roto league, in a standard roto league, I don't believe punting is the way to go. If you're getting ones or twos in categories, you can be a top four finish. Very, And it is a great way to be a top four roto finish is to punt a category in roto. But it's very hard to win. You basically need in a 12-team roto league to have a score of 10 on average, across every category. And if you get a one in one category, it means you need to get 11s or 12s in every category. And that's really tough to do, to be the best in you know eight other categories or seven other categories. But if your Roto League has more categories than nine, if your Roto League has more teams than 12, then punting becomes something that you can do. If you've got a 12-category league, then the, it's, it becomes even harder to be at the top of every category. So therefore, you're going to be worse in some of them. You might be a five in one category. But if you can make that a two in that category, but that makes you become, instead of a 10, it makes you an, an 11 in seven categories, then you've won out. So the general rule for Roto is more categories or more teams, punting is a viable strategy. If you are at standard, it's touch and go. Anything less than 12 teams is very hard to do for Roto. But anytime it gets to 14 teams, 16 teams, or you go to 11 categories or 12 categories, Roto is a viable strategy. The punting is a viable strategy for Roto leagues. In head-to-head, it's always a viable strategy in my opinion. But in Roto, the deeper you get, the more categories you get, the more viable that becomes as a strategy. So let's look at punt points. So what we're doing is talking about players here who don't contribute much in the points category. Who get These are guys who I think get some of the biggest bumps in value if you are punting that category. Draymond Green. The Rock DJ, Robbie Williams, Mitchie Robinson. And Mitch Robinson says, I'll take it from here. Bob Covington, TJ McConnell. You notice all these guys are excelling in blocks or steals with assists there for TJ as well. You're punting points. These guys could jump 20, 30 spots in ranking value very easily. Like TJ McConnell can be a top 50 guy. Mitch Robinson could be, a, Rob Williams could be a top 20 guy in a punt point scenario. Punt points is hard to pull off. 
Because when you get to the first round, everyone scores a ton of points. So you look at that and go, well, you know, have I just burnt my first round pick because he scored 20 points and everyone else scores nothing and I'm losing one of his value skills. In a salary cap draft, punt points is great because you don't have to take a first round player. You can ignore all those guys and grab a whole bunch of punt point guys, have your team average 11 points per game and dominate every other category. It is harder to do. And it is something that people won't do because people love points. People love how flashy scoring is. Oh, he's a 20-point-per-game scorer. Yeah, but he averages two rebounds and two assists with half a steal. Contributed nothing anywhere else. But people love the 20 points, so they overvalue 20 points. And points are such a hard category to get that if you want to compete in points, you have to reach for guys. You have to reach for Andrew Wiggins, Colin Sexton. Jalen Green will be one of these guys probably early on as well. Because you need points because you can't get them. It's for so many guys. But punt points gives you an advantage there. Punting threes. Yeah, this is pretty standard. It's centers. Bam at a bio. Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert. Rashawn Holmes. The Rock DJ, Robbie Williams. DeAndre Ayton. These guys aren't hitting threes. So you take the threes out of the calculation for them and their value goes really high. They become solid second-round picks for Bam and Gobert and Holmes becomes like a third-round guy and Williams becomes like a third-round guy. And you punt points and threes with someone like Rob Williams, then shit, like the numbers are through the roof. You're really catering into his strengths and punting points and threes is a viable combination. Throw that together with a punt free throw build and you just need to make sure you're getting a bunch of guys who get assists and then big men. And that is doable. So about punt rebounds. Hard I want to pull off but there are guys out there like that who are bad rebounders. And it's becoming, it used to be really, really hard to pull off a punt rebound build. There are a lot of guys who are in the league now who aren't really good rebounders and it is becoming something easy to do. And rebounds tend to get really hard to get after about pick 75, I think. So it's one of those ones where you don't like to reach for rebounds early, but if you don't get them by like round seven, let's say, maybe round eight, probably round seven, you're in real strife. It's hard to get a good rebounder. Darius Garland, Tyrese Halliburton, Damian Lillard, Fred Van Vliet, Jordan Poole is a late round guy. These guys are bad rebounders. Yeah, and they get gain a lot of value if you're not paying attention to that category. Punt assists. Centers again. You notice some names repeating. Clint Capella, Miles Turner, Rudy Gobert, Mitchie Robinson, Derek Favors. These guys aren't getting many assists. In a punt assist scenario, and you can combine it with a punt free throw for Gobert, punt rebounds maybe for Miles Turner, although he was much better last year. Punt assist and punt threes for Clint Capella. Like their value goes through the roof. These guys aren't getting assists and they get more value in that sort of scenario. Punt steals. A few guys here. Porzingis. Christos Porzingis. Jonas Valanciunas. Jonas Vasilinovansas. Timmy Hardaway. Blunty. James Wiseman. Where are you now? Maga Porter Jr. Like these guys aren't high. And if they become good steals, guys, awesome. Fantastic. But their steals are pretty low. And if you're in that situation, then they, again, gain that value. Punt blocks. You're going to see a lot of guards here. Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, Chris Paul, Jim Butler, Brad Beal. It's pretty self-explanatory. But if you are in a punt block scenario, these guys are way more valuable to you. Punt field goal percentage. The, the punting percentages gives you the biggest boost, I think, in overall value. Because percentages are, obviously, you can't score negative points. You can't get negative assists. You can't get negative numbers in those categories, really. Well, you can't at all. 
the there is an absolute floor of points. The lowest you can score is zero. With field goal percentage, the I guess the lowest you can shoot is zero percent. But the impact of that, if you shoot zero percent on one shot versus on five shots versus on ten shots versus on fifteen shots versus on twenty shots versus on thirty shots, the value the value range of the the level of outcomes is massive. You can shoot 100% on one shot or 100% on 20 shots and, and your value there has is just, the range of outcomes is wild. For points, it's between zero and let's say 50 best case scenario for players. Now you got, so you've got 50, 50 data points in the middle there per game. Field goal percentage, you have got, yeah, every, every basically, if you take one shot, two shot, three shot, four shot, five shot, whatever, up to 30 shots, and then however many makes you have in there, the amount of data ranges in there is is tremendous. So there can be great variability in that category. And if you're punting it, guys can gain a ton. So all that to say is, yeah, big gainers from punting field goals, Fred Van Vliet, Kemba Walker, Maximum Derek White. Maximum Derek. Although I will say this about Derek White, I don't expect his field goal to be, percentage to be as bad as last year. Devontae Graham and even Don Mitchell is another guy that uh, can benefit there. And punt free throw, probably the most well-known punting build. Guys who are just terrible at free throws. Yanni, Zion Williamson, Clint Capella, Ben Simmons, Rudy Gobert. These guys are all terrible and with big volume on free throws, you punt that category. Giannis goes from the 12th best guy to the third or second best guy. Zion goes from maybe 40th or 50th to probably 15th. Actually, that's not true. Probably like even top 10 for Zion. Simmons goes from 50th to 20th. Gobert goes from 30th to 15th or whatever it is. They get big, big jumps in what they do. Punting combos that you can use. Assists and free throws. And what you're trying to do is look at combinations of stats that go together where players who usually get high in one also get high in this one. So if you punt both of them, it boosts the value of the guys who don't do that because they're very rare to get outside of, say, a Ben Simmons or a Yanni. Two examples I just highlighted. Not many guys are high assists and high and and, uh, and low free throw guys or the other way around. So assists and free throws is a good combo. Field goal percentage and blocks, the punt big man. Most guys who block shots are also high field goal percentage guys, so you can punt that combo. Points and free throws. Points and... and um, most high scorers, they get a lot of their value by getting to the line a lot and hitting them well. Again, there are guys like Zion and Yanni who are exceptions to that rule, but in general, that's a good rule. Rebounds and blocks together. Multi-category ones, three-pointers, assists, steals, and free throws. They tend to tie together. You're going with a real big man build there. But again, you still need to fill out some of those small man positions on your roster. There's also the big man punt where you can go rebounds, blocks, and field goals and really load up in the other categories and your default punting turnovers there as well. And then there's also one which might seem a little bit uh, different, but punting both percentages, field goals and free throws. And in general, players with high field goals tend to have low free throws and vice versa. That, that's just generally what tends to happen. So punting them together might seem weird, but because they are the two highest variability numbers with numbers that can you know, go pretty wild in terms of or, or the largest range of outcomes for those numbers, if you're just disregarding that variability, disregarding those things that can swing wildly one way or the other, and there are, there are weeks where you'll win both those categories or one of those categories if you're punting both, but you're just taking away some of that variability and you're also going in there and going, well, I just need to go hard for volume every week. I need to stream the shit out of my team and get all the counting stats in. Points, threes, rebounds, assists, steals, blocks. That's what I'm targeting. And I'm doing that through volume. I'm doing that through streaming. I'm doing that through maximizing schedule and games played and all that sort of stuff. Whereas I'm not worrying about the variability of, of shooting numbers. Um, combos to avoid, like, 
pretty obvious. You don't want to be punting assists and blocks together. Doesn't really make sense. Blocks and field goals don't really want to make sense because, you know, those guys who get... Um, actually, sorry. That should be blocks and, and free throws. Assists and turnovers. Just can't pump both of those together. Doesn't work. Three points and, and free throws. Yeah, again, it's there's, there's different ways that you can go about punting combos. But in general, you don't want to go with combinations that don't make sense. And then lastly, if we look at, say, the top 12 players, and I think I've actually got top, I've got 13 guys in here, what are their worst categories? So when you're making your first round pick in a snake format, you know, what are you potentially punting? Nikola Jokic, Big Chungus. Let's hit the first Big Chungus for the season. Big, big Chungus, Big Chungus, Big Chungus. Big, big. Probably threes for, for Jokic, you're punting. Curry, you're punting blocks. Harden, field goals. Yanni's free throws. Towns is steals. Lillard blocks. Durant steals. Embiid threes, Beal blocks, Tatum field goal percentage, Doncic free throw percentage, Paul George field goal percentage. So that's a way that you can start with one of those first round picks, which is probably the top 13 guys there. I don't really see anyone jumping into that top 13 mix outside of those players, but that's how I have it. That'll do it for me today. Bit of a longer show. Apologies for that. If you liked it, if you have any questions about punting, drop it down in the comments below on YouTube. Tweet it at me at redrock underscore Beeble and follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app, YouTube. Thumbs up, leave your comments, ring the notification bell. Going to have something fun coming for you tomorrow, guys. We are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.